weekend so far. It's a beautiful Lord's Day. I'm thankful we can be together. Go ahead and go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We need to say a few final things about Matthew 5. But go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 6. This is lesson 12 in your workbook. Uh, I promise you that we don't get to get to all those questions in lesson 12 today. We're going to try to cover those on Wednesday, Lord willing. You can see this number here. We're going to begin with a word of prayer. And then we're going to jump into our class. Will you pray with me? Oh, mighty Father in heaven, we are thankful, God, that you have blessed us on this Lord's Day to be together as a family, to open up our Bibles and encourage each other, continue learning from the master teacher who is your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will bless us today. So we learn about how to develop hearts that please you. And Father, we are especially mindful of our, of our young people and of our Bible class teachers. And Father, we are mindful of one of our shepherds, Brother Dale Sheely, uh, who's in the hospital right now going through various tests. Father, we pray for good results, results that will lead to answers. And we pray, Father, that you will bless his whole family, his wife, and his sons, granddaughters, daughter-in-law, the whole family. I pray uh, for blessing upon the whole family, God, that you will hold their hand during this time. And we pray for all your people in this congregation who are facing illnesses and sicknesses, different, different levels of stress right now. We pray that you will hold the hands of your people and comfort them as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past couple of months, uh, not months, it may seem that way. Weeks, let me get that right. For the past couple of weeks, couple of classes, we have been considering what uh, may be the most difficult commandment in all the Bible. And that's the commandment to do what? <laughs> Love your enemies. I think we got that. Love and even pray for your enemies. Love and pray for your enemies. So far, we have learned Three things about that. First, loving and praying for your enemies involves being like God. That's how God is. God blesses and does good towards all people every single day. He does that by giving them the sun and the rain and food to eat on this earth. Doing this also involves living by a higher standard. This is a higher standard of living. Certainly it's a higher standard than what the scribes and the Pharisees were promoting in their time. And Jesus makes that very clear when he talks about you got to be better than the tax collector. You got to be better than the Gentiles. And that was a shot at the Pharisees who were really teaching people the same standard of the tax collectors and the Gentiles. Doing this also involves having perfect love. That's verse 47. Perfect love in your heart. You got to have a perfect level of love. God has perfect love. He has perfect love. And we saw that today in Jonah. Man, that's perfect love, isn't it? Well, we got to have perfect love, too. Perfect love involves not just loving the people who love you back and who are nice to you, but loving all people, even the people who are not nice to you. Now, a great section of scripture to read that goes with this, and Ryan has been making reference to this for a couple of classes, and I promise I was going to mention it some, is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Uh, you know, that's that's just a, that's one of those sections of scripture, kind of like Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, you know, that section that talks about trusting God. This is another one of those sections in the Bible that's just a good section to start your day with. 
because you're going to be dealing with people all day probably, just start your day reading about love and how to treat people right and how difficult that may be. And, and we talked a little bit about which of those qualities in 1 Corinthians 13 is especially difficult when it comes to love. And Rick and Ryan both said, I think Janelle made the point, bearing all things. <laughs> and that's absolutely right. You know, it, this kind of love is hard because you got to, you got to bear with some things. I mean, you got to deal with some things that may be hard to deal with when you want to retaliate and get even and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with this. Some other things I wrote down to kind of go with what y'all were saying, Janelle, was not taking, taking into account a wrong suffered. That's in that list too. Did you notice that? 1 Corinthians 13. And that's exactly what Jesus has been teaching us. In Matthew 5, you know, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. To be able to do that, you can't take into account wrong suffered. And that's not just hard to do with like your boss or your co-worker or even people in the church. Has anybody ever struggled with that in your marriage? Like letting stuff go. You know what I mean? I think I'm with you on that one, Ryan. I mean, that's I mean, I think we've all dealt with that. We're gonna be mature and honest about it. It's part of marriage. In marriage, you need a lot of patience, and, and a, especially the wives. I'm going to say that and get some brownie points. I'm like, Brian, he gets himself in trouble. I'm going to get myself. I'm not going to be on the couch tonight. But, uh, you know, you got to have a lot of patience. And there are wrongs done in a marriage all the time because no, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But for a marriage to be successful and blessed, we got to learn to forgive. You got to have forgiveness in a marriage. And you got kind of short memory. Because if you hold things against each other all the time, you'll never get along. You'll, you'll never be able to be happy in your marriage. In fact, what if Jesus had been like that? What if Jesus always took into account wrongs that were suffered? We'd be incinerated. Yes. Yes. Like the feet here in, in July in Phoenix. Yes. We... What if God was that way? What if God took into account all the wrongs that were done against him that we've done against him? Well, it's like when he was nailed on the cross. He could have said during that time, said to the Father, this is crazy. Let's end this world right now. And God could have just done that himself. You see his son going through all that. And what about what Jesus said, I can call legions of angels? I mean, you know, there any time this could have, they could have halted this whole thing. If they're going to Take into account the wrong that have suffered. And what if God today was doing like he did in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied about their giving and God dropped them dead right there on the spot? What if God was still doing that kind of stuff today in the church? We don't die of COVID. We have to build a cemetery, <laughs> right? We, don't, we have to build a cemetery right here by the church parking lot. But so, so thank God he's not doing that kind of stuff today. And then I also wrote down, love is kind. <coughs> love is kind. It's not easy to be kind sometimes, is it? It's not easy to be kind. Uh, it's, it's not easy to, you know, be nice to people when they're ugly to you. And they call you names and they say things about you that are not true, sometimes to your face. Love is kind. I think, I think that's harder than we want to give it credit you know, for. I mean, even in the church, sometimes some of the most unkind people, and I hate saying this, and I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm just talking in general. Some of the things I've seen 
and working with different churches and doing meetings in different places is sometimes, unfortunately, some of the most unkind people can be the people that God has shown kindness to and forgiven for sin, and they're Christians. And I hate saying that. I take no joy in that. But, but I think some of y'all know what I'm talking about. you experienced that before. And so how do we overcome those challenges? What, what, what would you say, like, I just want to get a couple of answers from people. Like, when you look at some of the difficult parts of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and how challenging some of that section can be, how do you think we can overcome that stuff? That's actually the last question on lesson 11 there. Like, how, how do we overcome that? Yes, ma'am, Peggy. One of the things you didn't cover was that we don't insist on our own way. And I think when you give up self, all these other things tend to lead that way that you think of other people and do for other people. Unselfishness, emptying yourself. That's Philippians 2. You know, not esteeming yourself, you know, hiring other people. And that's and that ties that's tied to humility. It takes humility to do what Paul was talking about. And that's hard for people, especially Americans, to have. Uh, Sharon, and, and, and then Dave, I got you next, sir. Um, one of the things that I learned as a teacher, and I'm sure some of the other teachers in here will know this, that the students, you, the people that you come across who need love the most will often ask for it in the most unloving way. Mm. And we have to remember that mm -hmm. a lack of love isn't something from God. It's something from the devil. So we are coming across somebody who is struggling a great deal more with Satan than we are, probably. And we need to throw them that lifeline that even though they're in a destructive habit, in a destructive cycle, there's a way out for them, too. That God, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He will not tempt us beyond what we are able. We need to be that lifeline for them. Because if not us, then who? I mean, if, if not the followers of God, who's going to do it? You know, sometimes it goes back to that, that goes back to the old saying. Some, you know, sometimes the best Bible people can read is just your life, how you live it. And sometimes people don't, and especially in our culture where there's so much hatred and division, people don't know how to love, and they lash out, and in different ways, and they don't realize where the source of that that it's the devil, but it is. You're right. And sometimes the best way we teach people how to love is by having that humility and humbling ourselves and showing them how to love. I, I like that. And and that's something, that's one of those things, Sharon, that we can do every day. That's one of those things, like I don't care who you are, how long you've been a Christian, male or female, every day you can show people how to love by just how you treat them. So that's that's great, great practical thought. Hey, Brother Dave, you had a thought, sir. First John 4, uh, 7 and 8, love one another, God is love, and if we don't love, we don't know God. That's a sobering conviction. Right yes. There. And really when I apply this in my mind, I really apply it a lot to the church. Uh, I know it's applied to society, but right. I apply it to the church. Um, you don't know God if you don't know, if you can't love or don't love. That's pretty... Uh, well, because what you're saying, Brother Dave... That's night. That's twenty and twenty-one. How can you say you love your brother if you hate your brother, or you love God who you've not seen and you hate your brother who you see? Uh, in the context here, what your the point you're making is that is the point. It applies amongst God's people first. And what did Jesus say? The world's gonna know you're my people if you first show love, show love towards each other. Absolutely, uh, brother Don. Then, then we'll then we'll move on here. A little bit of past history. 
1964 was the election between Barry Goldwater of Arizona and Lyndon Johnson of Texas. The and Goldwater and, got killed in that, didn't he? Well, he, he lost pretty badly. Yeah. Pretty badly. <laughs> yeah. There's no longer a Goldwater store in Phoenix, but that's, that's another subject. But the fact remains that among the church people, the split between the Republicans and the Democrats and Lyndon Johnson's people and Barry Goldwater's people was so great and the animosity was there that one of the lessons I worked up with, with Osby Weaver, who was in Tucson at the time, was from the King James Version of, of Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. Doest thou well to be angry. Is this something to be angry about? You know, we sit here in, in services and we sing songs and we pray with each other, we study with each other, we have fellowship with each other until the subject of politics comes up. Man, we like that. And then that word that, that's there is anger, doest thou well to be, is, is burn up mm -hmm. with your feelings. All of a sudden, it's like you lit a fire under the group and they're at animosity with each other. Yeah. Time out, brethren. Majoring in the minors, how I like to put it. It's majoring in the minors. Yeah. What, what, where's, your, where's your mind? Let's, let's, let's move that thought and get back to this thought. Yep. And we're all friendly again. Oh, that's good, Brother Don. In fact, I want to just close this with four applications because, excuse me, I think this is going to tie with the things John said, which are great comments. Four applications from this last section here about loving your enemies. Again, we've been called to a high standard. Being a disciple is not always easy. I think we think, you know, if I follow Jesus, it's supposed to be easy. No, no, no. Being a disciple can be hard. It can be hard. It was hard for Jonah to, to put his will aside for God's will, and it's hard for us too. And this is one of those places where we see how difficult it can be at times to serve the Lord. But if we really love the Lord, if we're really committed to, to the Lord, then we'll do it. In fact, you know, when we're talking about overcoming the challenges, I want to submit that one of the ways we can overcome the challenges of 1 Corinthians 13 is you got to buy into the first commandment. Remember, Jesus said the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then the second is like unto it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you don't buy into the first commandment, which is to love God with everything, every part of you, you're not going to be able to do the second part. You know, does that make sense? So when you buy into the first part where I really love God and I love everything about God and everything he tells me is right and good, naturally you'll be able to do that second part. Then they go together. And that brings me to another thing. Love is action. I think we need to make that point. You know, when I when we say we love our enemies, when I just say we walk around saying, oh, I got nice, warm, fuzzy thoughts about my enemies, and I don't want anything bad to happen to them. No, Bible love is action. It's doing something. Like Jesus did something for his enemies, praying for them, dying on the cross for them. We have to look for ways to do good towards our enemies. Look for those opportunities. And going back to Sharon's comment, that may be getting involved in their lives and showing them how to love. That's action there. That's, that's action. So, so remember that. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. To your point of following Jesus is not always going to be easy. When you talk about learning, you talk about teaching people. You have to keep them within what's called the zone of proximal development, which means you have a certain skill base and you're stretching them slightly more so that they're able to utilize some of their skills. So what the, the application here is that in order to follow Jesus and in order to follow him well, follow God well, we are going to have to get outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. We have to have a skill. We have to use that skill base that we've got, but it's going to stretch us to where we are not comfortable. 
and we can't say, you know, I, I'm guilty of it too, of, you know, of, uh, you know, that's just not my strength. I'm not good at that. Right. But we have to get outside and get outside of that comfort zone and become uncomfortable because if you stay where you're comfortable, you're never going to grow. And grow then, first at times. And then it, it, we're just children who are, who, you know, never move on to eating meat. We're just. You've got to get outside your comfort zone. I like that. got to get outside the box. you got to be get out the boat. Like Peter had to get out of the boat to walk on water with Jesus. The same idea. I like that. Great thought. Couple more things here as we wrap this up. God's love is unconditional. God loves unconditionally. He loves even us, even when we were his enemies, he still loved us. And our love has to be unconditional. You know what is conditional? God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is not unconditional. If you want God's forgiveness, you gotta do what? You gotta repent. Mm -hmm. But if you want God's love, it's always there. It's there towards the atheist and you know, people who are homosexuals or whatever, but whether they rebel against God or not, God's going to love them. He loves them. And that's how we got to be. And then God's love, I want to close with this last one, it's not tolerance. You understand that? So often our people in our society think they, they confuse tolerance and love. No, God's love is not saying, okay, you can do whatever you want, live however you want to live, and, and treat people however you want to treat them, and have sex with, who, with whoever you want to have sex with anytime. No, that's that's sin and God never 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 tolerates sin in fact in the Old Testament we read about God wiping out nations violently because they were immersed in sin God never tolerates sin God's love is not tolerance so it goes back to that statement we've been using you love the sinner but you hate the sin and you try to help the person in sin. That's another action, teaching them the gospel. Alright, go to Matthew 6. Ryan's going to close us up here. Go ahead, Ryan. Yes, sir. Just to that, you know, love is not always pretty. Because if you're digging into somebody's life, it's and you're trying to help them, yeah. it's not always a beautiful thing. It's not. No, it's not. It is not. to realize that, and I, and I think that goes back to her point, is we have to get out of our, our comfort zone. We know it's not going to be pretty, but we're scared to step outside of our box because we don't want to get involved with somebody else's life. If you were standing at the feet of Jesus while he's dying on the cross, is that looking pretty to you? Seeing blood coming out of his body, stripped down naked? Probably totally naked. Is that, is that, I mean, if you just look at that on the surface, on the surface, it's not about that pretty, but that's God's love. So it goes to your point. Love's not always pretty. But it's always, it's always needed, and it's accomplishing good. But it can be a beautiful thing. Yes, it can. And and you see that when you understand what Jesus' death was all about. Tony, real quick, then i got to keep moving. So, yes. so how do you step out of that you know, without I mean, getting about in your life, without coming off as intrusive to that person? I think you got to judge every situation. I think every situation is different. You got, I mean, when you, when you get involved in people's life and start knowing them and understanding them, you'll know You'll know, but I don't think that's something that we that we can really iron out here. In fact, I don't want to really iron that out here, Tony. I want to move on to Matthew 6 now. So Matthew 6, <laughs> verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your 
left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you say you're not to be like the, when you pray, I'm sorry, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will, that they will be heard for their meaning words. Okay, so I'm going to give you a chance right here to say a couple of things, but I need to use pretty much the, the rest of this class to kind of have a little bit of uninterrupted time, so i got to really break down what's going on here. First, though, I do want to hear from you on this. Okay, Jesus here is talking about getting praise from people. Okay, doing things so people can praise us and compliment us and honor us. Is seeking what he's talking about that there, is that tempting ever? Is it tempting to want to do things so people can see you and compliment you and honor you and say, oh, it's just so great and so smart. Is that tempting? Yes, Kimberly. That's how our society works, right? Like sports are like that. Jobs are like you get a promotion. Like everything that we do in our society is, you know, you get recognized. It's recognition based. So yeah. Isn't that what social media is all about? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever been guilty of putting something on social media and checking back every five minutes, seeing quick like on your stuff? <laughs> you know what that is? That is you want recognition. It means something to you for people to like what you put out. You want to see what percentage of your friends like what you put out. That is what social media is all about. Let's just be honest about it. It's all about, I want people to see what I'm doing and, and see what I've made for dinner tonight or see what I've done in school or let me take a picture of my diploma and show it to you. I want you to give me some, some credit because I think credit's due. Uh, Brother Don, yes, sir. The, the Greek word ego that we translate into ego is something that is inherent in everybody. Yes. And it just so happens that that's the word that Jesus uses for the I am. Ego emei. I am. He is the only one that can say that without bragging. Yes. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. I like that. Ego. That's exactly what this is about. Mm -hmm. So let, let me say a few things here as we try to break this down a little bit. Is seeking praise and honor from people tempting? Yes. The answer is yes. You know why? Because it feels good. It feels good. Our society trains us to behave like this. Social media trains us to be like this. And it's easy to bring that mindset into religion. I really hope people will like this sermon. I really hope they'll like it. Hope, oh, I hope they'll love it. Not thinking about God any. I really hope they... They'll like this Bible class. Man, I hope I impress them today. I really hope they'll be impressed with my song leading. I really hope I get a lot of compliments for my song leading today. I really hope they'll be impressed with my comment I'm making Bible class. I want to show people how smart I am. I got it down. I bet nobody in this class has thought about what I'm about to say right now. I really hope they'll think I'm so religious when I put this on Facebook. I'm going to put one of my prayers on Facebook. I'm going to put a Bible verse to hold people to think, I'm so about the Bible. The Bible's always on my mind. I want people to know that so they can think I'm so religious. I really hope they'll see how much knowledge I have when I say this long prayer. 
I'm going to pray for five to ten minutes and I'm going to show people how I don't miss a beat. I know the Bible. I know God. I'm, I'm in tune with God. I'm going to blow away everyone else when it comes to prayer. From what Jesus teaches here, we learn that in addition to actions, your motives, my motives matter. Motives matter. And as members of the Church of Christ, we don't emphasize that enough, probably. You know, as members of the Church of Christ, in, a, in an effort to avoid one extreme, we go to the other extreme. You know what I mean? We want to get our mechanics down pretty good. And, and we need to do that. You know, we're not going to use the instrument. You know, we're going we're, we're gonna to make sure we do the five acts of worship. We're going to use bread and grape juice. We're going to do all that right. We're going to take it every first day of the week. We want to get the mechanics down. And we need to get the mechanics down. But in an effort to avoid one extreme that's found in the religious world, you know where we go? We go to another extreme. We take all the emotion out. We act like emotion don't matter. Don't need emotion. Don't get the mechanics right. Don't worry. It doesn't matter what's going on in your heart or your motives as long as you get the mechanics right. No, Jesus says. You need both. You need right actions and right motives. So, all for, so often we, we fail to realize that. Jesus is trying to set us straight here. Right actions matter, so do right motives. And so let's break down the text. In verse 1, we got a warning in verse 1. There's a warning against having wrong motives when you do good works. There's a warning against doing things to receive praise from men and not praise from God. Jesus says that if we do good works, now listen to that, if we do good works, if we do something the Bible says, but God looks into our hearts and sees that our motives are not right, guess what? We have no reward. In other words, that good action was for nothing. It was for nothing. I mean, I, I imagine doing something for, you know, doing something and then you realize it was all for nothing. Jesus says if you do a bunch of good works, and your heart's not right, and you're not thinking about God, and you try to impress people, God don't care about nothing you did. It does nothing to him. You have no reward. And Jesus emphasizes three places where this can happen. In verses 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4, he says this is going to happen when it comes to giving and works of charity. 1 through 4 is giving and works of charity. Verses 5 through 8, it can happen when it comes to prayer. Prayer. And then we're going to drop down in the chapter and look at verses 16 through 18, because I think it's in, this connects back to that. He talks about fasting. And someone says, oh, I don't, you know, fasting's not a big deal to us. Well, hang with me. Now. We're going to talk about fasting a little bit. So let's start with the first one here, verses 1 through 4, the giving, the charity. In regards to that, Jesus said, when you give to the poor, verse 2, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, so they may be honored by men. Don't ask this out loud. Just think about it. Did the people in Jesus' time, again, don't, don't ask her out loud. Just think about it. Did they literally do this? Did they literally sound a trumpet? Well, the evidence, some evidence shows us they actually did literally do this. Rich people in the first century Jewish culture, but often, if they wanted to give money to poor people, 
they would get a trumpet and they would blow it. And they would try to make it look like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get all the poor people to know where I'm at so I can give my money to them. And when they did that, when they called the poor to them through a trumpet, you know what happened? The attention went on to, towards them. Oh, that's a rich person giving money to a poor person. They literally did this in the first century. So the Lord could be referring to that. He could be referring to the deeds that were done in the first century when rich people literally blew a trumpet to attract the poor to them, but their motives were all wrong. Another possibility is Jesus making reference to the giving that was being done in the temple. In the temple courtyard, they had giving boxes. You see this when you study the story of the widow's might. Remember, they're going and dropping money in, and Jesus watching them do this, and he's able to see a widow, you know, put a small amount in, everybody else put in a lot of money. Well, in the temple courtyard, there were giving boxes, and these giving boxes were cone-shaped. They were shaped like a trumpet. And you know what they were lined with? They were lined with metal. And so that means that when you walked by the giving box and you put your money in, you know what people could hear? Ching, ching. And if you got a lot of money, ching, ching, ching. It literally, in a sense, was the sounding of the trumpet. The giving boxes were shaped like trumpets, lined with metal. And when you gave... You were sounding the trumpet. And so Jesus made me think about both of those things when he makes this reference here. The point is, though, regardless of what view you hold, the point is never make your giving about you. Never make your giving about impressing people. If you do that, Jesus says in verse 2, you've received your reward in full. That expression there ties to the idea of being paid for. That's all you're going to get. I hope you enjoyed the gratification you got from trying to please men because you get no blessing from God. Jesus is saying this is a serious matter to God. In fact, it's so serious that in verse 3, he uses a figure of speech to emphasize the point. In verse 3, he says, when you get to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, is that literally possible? Is it literally possible for my right hand to know what my left hand is doing? Does my right hand have a brain in it? No, that is not literally possible. Jesus is using a figure of speech here to emphasize don't do things to be noticed by other people. Don't do things to, be in, to impress other people. Don't do things to impress people in the world. Don't do things to impress your social media friend list. Don't do things to impress people in the church. Don't even do things to impress yourself. And try to put your, get yourself a pat on the back. Make yourself feel like you're so good, and so smart, and so giving. It should always be all about who? It's always about God. It's always about God. He says that if we make it about ourselves, verse 4, or if you make it about God, if you're giving us in secret, your father who sees what is done in secret, He's going to reward you. If you make it about God always, you're going to get a reward from God. Now, now I want some comments from you. Let's talk about this reward. Because Jesus, if you notice in his teaching, 
he often talks about reward. And I think that makes us uncomfortable as Christians sometimes. I mean, so often we think, well, you know, I just need to do things because it's the right thing to do. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to have that mindset. But there's nothing wrong also thinking about a reward from God. Because Jesus says that here. He says, do this and you get a reward. Is Jesus wrong? He's never wrong. So what, what do y'all think about that? What, what do you think about the reward? What is this reward that God will give us if we make sure our motives are always tied to God? I want to hear your thoughts on that. What's the reward? Think about it. Someone's not enough thought about that before. <laughs> think about it. Go ahead. I told you this makes us uncomfortable. Go ahead, Janicia. I think we receive daily peace. Like, mm. When I post something on Facebook, I could care less who clicks like. And that there's a certain peace to that. Like I'm not overwhelmed with what people think about me. It's just God and I, and I'm good with that. So it's something. It's a. And I, I think in the long term, there's a spiritual reward in heaven. But there's a certain peace that you have, a reward of I don't care what other people think. My motive is God's will. One of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. So if you're living with God always in the forefront of your mind, peace, the peace of knowing that I'm doing this for the right reason, that is certainly a reward from God. That is fruit that comes from God's Holy Spirit. I think that's a great answer. And, and I think that's something we need to be mindful of. That's an awesome answer. And along with that peace, inward peace, is the reward that we get inwardly. It should make us feel good. It really should. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, it's when you stretch it to get accolades for it, that's when it becomes an issue. But really, doing something for someone in a private way should just make you feel complete. And have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever done something that no one else knew about but you and that person, and you just felt good about that? You don't, no one ever needs to beat themselves up about that. That is a reward. You need to feel good about doing something that is right, that God says is right, and that you didn't go blowing the trumpet for yourself. Absolutely. I think you and Janice are right on the same page there. Ryan, yes, sir. So I'm just thinking, does this not point back to the previous scriptures as far as love is concerned? In which context? I'm sorry, Ryan. Well, in, in the fact that if we're given to some, somebody and it's just between us and them, and God sees it, God knows are we not being like him? Yes. And, and the fact that that should be our reward. Yes. Yes. No, I, I think it absolutely ties back there. In fact, I put on mine here. You know, the ultimate reward we want is heaven. Okay? But we can't earn our way to heaven. You know, we do things. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We get that. We know that. But I, I, I think, and I, and I think I can sum all this up with everybody is saying, by just saying God's approval. There's reward in just knowing I have approval with God. I feel I can feel good about that. I should feel good about that. I mean, if I'm going to feel good about anything else in my life, shouldn't I feel good about the fact that I have a relationship with God and that I'm a genuine disciple and that I'm trying to be like my father? So I, I think our reward can come from the fact that it's just good to know that I'm doing something with right motives and my father is approved. And you're glorified. And I'm glorified. And, and that's all I care about is what he thinks. That's, that's my reward. He knows it. I know he knows it. He don't have to tell me, shout it from him, but I know it. I have faith. Yeah. And if, but if I make it about me and try to get people to glorify me, I forfeit that. 
I forfeit that reward because I know God knows my heart. And I know God is not going to give me any kind of praise because I got my reward. I was paid for oh, Andy and then Don after that. Go right here, Andy. Yes, sir. I think it also ties into what Jesus is going to say later about um, storing treasures in heaven. And that's, of course, it's not about earning, right? But it's like I'm doing something good and God knows that yes. I'm storing those treasures rather than the treasure, the earthly treasure of other people knowing what I'm doing and getting so. Storing treasures in heaven is not about earning our way, uh, but it's about relationship. It's about doing what God says and doing what he says so we don't take his grace for granted and living by faith. So, Andy, that's a great compliment, uh, comment, uh, Brother Brother Don. One of the sir. lessons that you're going to get into one of these days is the <laughs> blessings that we have now. And, and when you're a Christian and the Bible tells us that, that you have all of these blessings, well, I don't feel blessed. This is one of them. Because you go, we go by what we see. If I don't see we go it, by what we see yes. rather than what Live we feel and what we know by faith. Yes. And there are a multitude of blessings which we have now yes. which are not tangible. Yes. And this is one of this them. This is one of the biggies. That's great, God. And, and to, to, but to really appreciate this, you got to walk by faith, not by sight. Right. Because God's not going to just walk up to you and say, I don't, I don't know this no, this, you got to trust what the Bible says. This is says. not a Joel Olstein right. world. Exactly. Yes, I like that. So do y'all get where we're coming from here? You see it? Now, real quick, these last few verses here, verses 5 and 7, and we'll finish this Wednesday, okay? He talks about prayer in verse 5. Don't be like hypocrites. They love to stand praying in synagogues on the street corners. In Jewish times, many of the Jews have prescribed times for prayer. You know who else does that? And, and the religious folks who do that too? Muslims. You ever been to, anybody been to New York before? And I remember I was in New York a few years ago and, and it was going to a hot dog stand. It was a, a, a man who was a Muslim who was running it and at certain, I think it was like six o'clock, he's just on his knees. And I was, I was like, can I get hot? He wasn't hearing me. He was not hearing me at all. He was on his knees. And he was praying there, and he didn't say anything to me till he was finished. Mm -hmm. He stopped where he was in near Times Square and did that. Uh, Muslims uh, do that. Jews today still do that. People call themselves Jews. I remember on our way to Israel, we, we saw about 15 Jewish men. You know, they got the, the, the long hair right here and the big beard. They got up, and they were headed somewhere on the plane, on this big plane. I was wondering where they were going. I found out later. They were going for prayer. <laughs> they had a certain time. It was their time for prayer. And this was going on in the time of Jesus. You had Jewish people had prescribed times for prayer. And you know what that meant? That meant if you timed it just right, if you knew your city well, your town well, you could make your time for prayer during a time when a lot of traffic was coming through, when a lot of public, when a lot of people are going to be in the public, you could do it at the marketplace. You could do it on the street corners. You could do it in the synagogue. You could do it in the temple. Remember the Pharisee in Luke 18, he's praying in a way where he's saying things like, I'm not like this guy. People can hear him pray. Jesus says this behavior makes you a hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? In these times, a hypocrite was an actor, an actor, a pretender. 
If we pray or do religious things where people can look at us and go, oh, they're so religious. I know they, they're Christian people. Jesus said, you've made this about you and not about God. And so we'll stop right there. Do you see where Jesus is going here? He is challenging us like crazy. He is challenging our hearts. Yes, ma'am. I, I think, and I speak, I'm speaking to myself, that why this makes us so uncomfortable is it requires self-examination. And I know that we've touched on it, but every single thing we have to keep self-examining, and that's uncomfortable because who's going to call us out like we're going to call ourselves out? Kimberly, I want to close with this comment. I want to close with this comment, if y'all don't mind. Here's the main application. It is not wrong for a brother to lead us in a public prayer day. It is not wrong to do public singing, for me to preach, to teach a class, for you to put something on Facebook. I don't want anyone to say, well, Sean said we couldn't do that. No, that is not the point. The point is whenever we do stuff like this, we got to check our hearts. Because the only one who can judge our hearts is God. And if you want to put something on Facebook, a scripture or a prayer, go right ahead. Do it. Nothing wrong with that. But make sure before you do it, your motive is right. Because God's the only one who can see that. And he knows the truth. You and God know that. So I'm not saying it's wrong to do religious things publicly. I'm saying Jesus teaching we need to check our motives before doing it. Because if the motive's not right, God's not going to be glorified. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's stop right there. We'll pick this up Wednesday.